be seated. Amen. I love that last song we sang. I've loved it since the first time it came out. I will admit to you that I am biased towards that song because it is written by a bow weevil who is from Monticello, Arkansas. If you didn't know that, now you do. David Leonard wrote that song. I love that song. It's a great song. Um, speaks to me. We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit this morning. You can see we'll be in Galatians, so if you want to find your place there in Galatians chapter 5, we will be there quickly. For those of you that like to take notes, you can take a picture of that QR code and it will take you to the link for sermon notes. If you'd like to just go straight to fbcdan.com, you can. It's underneath the media tab. Your no, you'll have my notes with you. You can email that to yourself and save that for safekeeping. For those that like to do that, if you don't like to do that, then don't do it. I'm going to be all right. It's fine. <clears throat> so we're getting into this uh, fruit of the Spirit. We're going to be here for a few weeks. We're looking at that today, and uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, my, my mom and my sister are here uh, with me and, and Presley this, this weekend, and uh, excited about that. That means my little nephews are here as well. Uh, they are six and four, and uh, they, they, uh, they're, they're hard to keep full. I don't know how else to say it. They like to eat. So Presley and I had to go get groceries the other day to make sure we had plenty of snacks for the nephews when they were coming. And uh, when we left, we got what we needed, and we were, we were loading up the car. Uh, something kind of funny happened. I find humor in weird places, but uh, I was putting the buggy up, and Presley heard it too. There was a, an, an elderly couple, and it's not funny because they were elderly, but there was an elderly couple in the car on the next row over. They were in a little white compact SUV, and all you could hear was, and I was like, what is going on? I looked at Presley, and she was kind of looking at me, and I was like, what? And Presley realized what was happening. They were trying to back up, but they did, had it in park, Then the guy was just showered down on the on the gas and the little four banger was and she kind of laughed and they didn't appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) and then he finally realized what was happening and he put it in reverse and of course it backed up he put it in drive and he pushed the gas and it and it took off and and it just you know thinking about what we were going to talk about today it it, it just really kind of fits along with what we're talking about here today you know the, the 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 engine was there it was present. The power, the gasoline, everything was there and present for that car to be in motion. He was even pushing the gas. But unless the car is in gear, it's not going to go anywhere. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about here when he's talking to the Galatians. Uh, he's, he's, he's talking about what it takes to put ourselves into gear as a follower of Jesus. And, and, and the fruit of the Spirit, the list here is... Is the, is the scripture we're in today, so let's read that together. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul says, by yielding to the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of Christ in our lives, is another way to say that, these are the things that are produced by the Spirit for God's glory in our lives. 
These are the markers of what makes up the character of a disciple of Jesus. These are the characteristics. This is the description of a Jesus follower. And this morning the question is, is it a description of you and of me? And how do we put ourselves in the gear to get there? Now, the letter to Galatia, to the churches of Galatia from Paul, is is an interesting letter. Um, It it might be our earliest letter of Paul's. We can't nail that down specifically, but we know it was around 48 to 50 A.D. when Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Galatia. That There's a lot of scholarly talk about was he talking to the to North Galatia where the where the ethnic Galatians were or to the South Galatia area which is where he actually planted churches I'm of the of the school of thought that is the South it's the South Galatian theory they talk about to the churches that he planted you can go into Acts and see where those churches are that he planted there I think that's who he's talking to um, I, I like to go with the simplest answer and I think that's the simplest answer and Paul's writing this letter to the to the group of churches so it went to numerous places, was read to these different places. And, and the, the driving force behind this, ladder, this letter is how do we gain acceptance from God and how do we maintain this as we move forward in our life as a follower of Jesus? How do you get accepted by God in the first place, which is really that empty thing we have inside of us that we all desire as a human being. God put eternity in our hearts his word says, and we all know that there is something there, and that's what that something is. We desire to be accepted by God. How do we do that? How do we maintain that? And, and there were, were some, Paul planted these churches, he evangelized these churches and planted them, and then went on his missionary journeys. Many of you know he had several missionary journeys, planted several churches. Well, people came in behind Paul, and they were trying to make circumcision a requirement for salvation. Now, there's words used to describe these uh, types of people. Judaizers is one of them. Uh, it's not a negative Jewish term. It's a negative Christian term that he's using. He's not talking about Jews in general. He's talking about people that say they're Christians but are trying to, to, to mix up what it means to follow Jesus with Christianity. And so they were trying to say that you were not saved until you had become circumcised. With, if you have any knowledge of the Old Testament, you know that that was a mark of being an ethnically Jewish person was, was to perform that act. And this is the most contentious point that Paul is arguing in this letter. So, so the underlying thing that Paul is talking about in this letter is specifically that you don't have to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus, to have salvation, to be accepted by God. That, that's the thing right there. And, and, and so, the, so the, the point, the big point he's trying to make is what you do actually have to do. You don't have to do that, but here's what you do have to do. And he makes three really broad cases for his, for his theory, or not his theory, but for the, for the doctrine of faith in Jesus for salvation and faith alone. Which we, as Protestants, as people that have, that have followed the do- that doctrine for, for hundreds of years now, that if you've grown up in a church that, that believes that doctrine, that just sounds normal to you. But that was a very difficult thing in their day. You mean, you mean we don't have to keep the ceremonial law anymore? It just was such a hard concept for them to grasp. And so he makes three big cases for that doctrine. Three big cases for faith in Jesus for salvation and faith 
alone. Uh, He makes an argument in the first couple chapters from his personal experience. Here's what happened to me. Here's who I was pre-Damascus Road. Here's who I've been post-Damascus Road. You can't explain that any other way than through faith in Jesus and what he did to me. And then he argues from, as he often does, a theological point, right? From fact, which I love that about Paul. Paul argues from the basis of fact. Here's the scriptures we've had now for hundreds and hundreds of years. And here's what they say makes you right with God. And even then, it was still faith that made you right with God. And then the main part of the letter that we're looking at today is the we're looking at the majority of chapter 5, but the last whole part of, of the letter deals with the argument from the consequences of faith. When you place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, here are the results that happen in your life, which, is, which again is, is, the, is the justification for his belief that we are justified through faith in Jesus alone. What the Holy Spirit does proves that faith in Jesus alone is what saves us. So that's kind of the underlying thing of the letter of Galatia, Galatians to the church of Galatia. And, and so keep that in mind as we go through all this today. And he states very plainly in Galatians 2.16 that, uh, that, that theme, that justification is through faith in Jesus. He says right there in Galatians 2.16, know that no one, no one is justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we are made right with God, how we are accepted by God, faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because the works of the law, because by the works of the law, excuse me, no human being will be justified. And then he finishes Galatians 6, verses 14 through 16, about how he will only it he will only boast in the cross of Christ. God's grace, God's chosen instrument of demonstrating that grace, that's what he will boast in because that is what justifies us before God. And so in the third argument that Paul makes in this letter, that he's making in this letter, we, we look at the consequences of faith in the complete and finished work of Jesus on the cross or the consequences of trying to be justified by the law. That's what chapter 5 is talking about. If you try to live to justify yourself by the law, which is really self-justification, is what that is, here's what that looks like. But if you live through faith in Jesus Christ and in, and in his work on the cross, completed and full and only that, here's what that results in your life. And that's what Paul is talking about in all of chapter 5, which we'll go through most of that today. So after making his theological argument, he starts chapter 5 with this verse. He stated the inability of the law to save and to change man. And he starts chapter 5 with this. Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christ has done what he has done to liberate us from the law. Why would you fall back into the law? Trying to justify yourself, Paul says here. Why would you fall back into the yoke of slavery? That's what he means by that. In Christ, we are made free. So the question is then, how are we made free? Why are we made free? What does it mean to be free in Christ? And Paul goes on here in chapter 5, and we'll go through these fairly quickly. 
Six negative consequences of trying to be justified by the law. Six results of trying to be justified by the law. In other words, when we say faith in Jesus is what saves you and what saves me. Faith in Jesus and we're, we're going down this road. It's not faith in Jesus and. There is no and to be justified before God. There's faith in Jesus. Either what he did on the cross fixed it or it didn't. And Paul's saying it fixed it. It fixed sin. It gave you forgiveness of sin. And why would you fall back into the law? So he, six consequences of trying to be justified by the law. Trying to say it's faith in Jesus and is what saves me. And that, what that means is when you say that, faith in Jesus and means no faith in Jesus at all. Understand that's what that is saying. So th six things that this way of thinking and living produces, and we'll go through them here. The first one is the cross means nothing. The cross means nothing. If you're looking in chapter 5 along with me, you'll see right there at the beginning. Verse 2, if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Now, that sounds strange to us, and that's a weird word and all those types of things, but you could put anything in that blank. Take that out if you want to and put anything in there. If you get yourself baptized to be saved, if you have to go to church to be saved, all the, all the religious things, all the things that we try to put on top of faith and Jesus to be saved. There are many things to do once we become a Christian, right? There are many things for us to do. We should gather regularly. We should give of our energy and our time and our money. We should do those things. We must do those things to make it in this life, to be sanctified, to continue on, to, to, to not lose heart in this difficult, sinful world. We must do these things. That's why they exist. But they don't exist to save you. They can't. Showing up here can't save you. Faith in Jesus is what saves you. And that's a liberating truth. It's also a scary one. It's also a scary truth. It's a very scary truth. So if you add to the cross, you devalue the cross. If it's the cross and, then it's not just the cross. And that's the whole point. The cross is a, a miracle. What Jesus did for us on the cross is eternity altering. There is no and. There's no cross and. It's what he did on the cross. It's paid in full on the cross. Don't add to it. Live in that freedom regardless of how scary that freedom is. And it is scary. When, when Jesus' love is the standard, there's no loopholes. And that's scary. There's no self-pride. And that kind of is offensive to us. The second thing that Paul says, the negative consequence of trying to be justified by the law, is that then if you try to do that, then you're obligated to the whole law. You're obligated to the whole law, continuing there where we were. If, he, if you're justified, if you get circumcised to be saved, that he's obligated to keep the entire law. If you add to the cross... Any law for salvation's sake, now you add the whole law to, to, to try to earn salvation. Either it's faith or it's law. It's not both. That's the, that's the argument Paul is making here. You can't have both. It's either Jesus did it or you're trying to say that you can do it. But you can't live in that weird middle ground. Which is where the majority of Christians live, by the way. That's what we do. We default to works-based righteousness. That is our human sinful default. We want to be able to justify ourselves before God. 
And that's not the way it works. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you, if, you, if you try to add anything of the law, then you're adding the entire law. You can't just stop at circumcision, bring it all back. Okay, what's the problem for the Jews later, for the, for the Judaizers, the Christians that wanted to make it half Jewish, half Christian? Well, in AD 70, all that goes away, right? No, we, they don't know that when Paul's right, but in AD 70, the temple is, is destroyed by Rome. Ancient Judaism is no more, just like Jesus said it was going to be. You, can't, you couldn't even do it if you wanted to. But why would you want to? Goodness, why would you want to? Number three, removes the power and joy of grace. Verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. See, see a legalist, somebody trying to be justified by the law, a legalist living by legalism cannot be certain of their salvation because he doesn't know if he's ever done enough. How do you know if you've ever done enough to be saved if you're trying to be justified by the law? And that was the problem with the law. And it wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was not to justify us before God. It was to show us our inescapable inability to be justified by the law. It was to show us the greatness of God. It was to point to his grace. It was to point to his mercy. It was to point to Jesus. It was to point to the fact that God was going to love you even though you couldn't do and be who he wanted you to be. So a legalist can't be, can't be certain of their salvation, right? And grace doesn't matter now because of that. If you're justifying yourself because of self-works, then God's grace doesn't matter. Paul says, why would you do that? Why would you do that? But here's what I'll tell you. Here's what we believe at this church. Now, you, you, depending on how you grew up, you, this may not be the doctrine that you believe, but I believe without a shadow of a doubt that someone who has truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ, submitted their heart to him, that they are saved and they are saved forevermore. Now, you can put whatever fancy term on that you want to. You can call it security of the believer. You can call it uh, you know, eternal uh, salvation. You can call it whatever you want to. The, the, the scholars like to put terms and all that stuff. What I'm telling you is, Jesus says, when he gets you in his hand, he ain't letting go. And that's a great liberating truth to live your life from. I'm so thankful that that is true. Right? Otherwise, Paul says in one of his other letters that, that if, if you had to be re-justified every time you sin, then you have to re-put Jesus back on the cross every time if that were true. And of course that's not true. Jesus died on the cross once and once for all. That is it. Place your faith in that. Live in that grace. Don't try to justify yourself by the law, Paul says. He says, going, continuing in verse 5 there, he says, For through the Spirit, here we come with what Paul's really trying to get at. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Now see, Paul, he starts getting to, to his main point here, in this point. He's, his main point, which is the power of the Spirit in a person that has submitted to faith in Jesus. Jesus has completed and finished work of redemption on the cross. That's what Paul's starting to get to now. The power of the Spirit to produce something amazing, miraculous in your life when you truly place your faith in the completed, finished work of Jesus buying you back to God on the cross. The believer is secure because his faith produces a hope. Not hope like, oh, I wish, like we say hope. Hope like confidently 
confident of certainty. Conf the confidence of something that's certainly going to happen. We have the hope, the confident certainty of, the righteous, of our righteousness before God. Not because we are righteous, but because Jesus is righteous. We have confident certainty of, the, of our righteousness before God because Jesus has bought this righteousness. What a great place to live our life from. You understand that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are redeemed. You have been bought back, bought at a price. What an amazing truth to live in. And Paul's trying to drive this home, which he did when he was there. And now they've started following this other stuff because that is our default. And then he says it stunts your sanctification. Another negative consequence is stunted sanctification, our spiritual growth. He says, you were running well. Paul says in verse 7, you were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? You were, you were doing it, man. You guys were doing it. You were doing this. You were doing this Jesus thing. Why are you listening to these other guys? What, what are you thinking? Why would you want to live by the law when you can live in the freedom of grace? Why would you want to do that? You were running your spiritual race well. You were growing in your faith. You were growing in holiness, which is not a popular thing for me to stand here and talk about, that we should be growing in our holiness our desire to be separated from the things of the world and drawn to the things of God. Growing in sanctification, becoming more like Christ. But now, if you think you need to add something to Jesus' work, you're slowing down, Paul says. Maybe even turning around and going back in the wrong direction. Or maybe you were just running the wrong race in the first place. Paul, Paul says you were running well. Why? Why? You're stunning your sanctification, your spiritual growth. It doesn't work. You can't add law to it. Then it says that it removes the offense of the cross. The fifth thing. Now, brothers, if, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Paul says. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Think about this. I've already alluded to it. To our flesh, to our fleshly human desire, what it is to be human apart from faith in Jesus. The cross is offensive. It's offensive. I mean, this states that other, where, other places in Scripture, but it is. Why? Because in our pride, we want to reach God. We want to do something to be saved. It can't just be God's goodness and grace. That's what we think as sinful human beings. So we add. We add. And in our adding, the cross loses the offensiveness. If it is cross and circumcision... Well, then the cross isn't quite as offensive to my, to my pride. I can do something to please God. I can do something to make God say I'm a good little boy. Great job. Pat on the back. Right? I can be prideful in something. But if I can't do that, it's offensive. The cross, church, the cross should be offensive to a sinful human being. It must remain offensive. It must be Jesus did it on the cross and that's it. And that must be our message that maintains. We must move forward with that message. It must stay that way. We can't remove the offense of the cross because it ain't about you. I think we've heard that before. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's about what God did, about what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's the entire point. And the last thing here, and probably my last point, and I could belabor this, but I won't. I promise. But the last one is anger. Right? Now, before I read... This translation, if you have an older English translation, like if, you, if you're reading uh, King James 1611, things like that, 
it won't say it quite this way, okay? But the modern translations say what Paul was intending to say when he said what he said in the Greek. So if you've never heard this before in this way, well, sorry, but this is what it means. Verse 12, Paul says, I wish those who are disturbing you might also get themselves castrated. That's what Paul says. Now, how do we know that? Because he's been talking about circumcisions for paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. He says, you know what? I'm so sick and tired of this. I'm so sick and tired of, of these people coming in and trying to justify you by the law. It's, it's inescapably wrong. It's never going to work. It's not going to happen. You're going to produce works of the flesh. It is bad. It is terrible. You know what? It makes me so mad. Instead of stopping with circumcision, I wish they'd just go ahead and finish the job. That's what Paul says. Now, that's angry. When you say that about somebody else, you're mad. He's exasperated at these, at these people that are hindering the faith of the churches of Galatia. He's exasperated about it. He's, he's, he's frustrated. Yes, it's figurative language that Paul uses here. And, and again, your English may just say cut off. That is the literal word. But he's in, that's what he means. Okay, So we're moving on past that. So angry. okay, Angry. That's not what we want. Here's the thing, bottom line, legalism treats people harshly and often leads to divisions. And that's what Paul is talking about a lot throughout this letter. When you can justify yourself, then you have reasons to unjustify others. When you can justify yourself, then you can look at so-and-so and say, you know, they ought to be doing a better job. I'm a lot better Christian than they are. Jesus must look at me and think I'm something special. If you can justify yourself, then you can unjustify others. You can boast about yourself, then you can talk down to others. And that causes division, and that causes hurt. And there's been so much of that in the church throughout the years. Legalism hadn't died just because Judaism died. It's our default, church. We may be walking well but it is very easy to jump right back into that and start looking down our nose at other Christians because they're not quite doing it quite as good as you think you're doing it. And in that, from that heart, God would say, ah, you're so far from me. You're so far from me right now, and that's your heart. So the bottom line is, when it comes to legalism, justification by the law, you know, faith in Jesus and, and that and can be whatever, whatever you try to add to it. Is this legalism divides and it's harsh Paul tells us here it doesn't work either you can't justify yourself that way we are free in Christ we are free in Christ but now Paul gets to the absolute crux the the, the juxtaposition of his argument your freedom in Christ because this is what the legalist people worry about the legalists they were worried about people just doing whatever they wanted well if I'm free from the law I should do whatever I want and Paul very clearly states here in the next part, and this is the last part, and we'll finish up. He says, your freedom is not license, it's liberty. It's not license to do whatever you want. It's liberty to live the way God wants you. It's liberty to be actually changed into something new and to live for spiritual things. He says in verse 13, For you were called to be free, brothers, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another, excuse me, through love. Freedom from the law is not licensed to sin, 
but it is liberty to serve. Now, if you're a tweeter, you ought to tweet that. That's good. Freedom from the law is not license to sin, but it's liberty to serve. Paul says in verse 14, For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Jesus said it different, differently but the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Living by the law causes us to consume and devour each other. Because if, it's, if we can be justified by the law that I have to prove I'm better than you. That's not a good place for a community to live. But it says the actual law, the actual point of the law, the actual thing it's pointing to is that the best way to live and the way it works in God's community, in his church, in Jesus' assembled people is for us to actually do what's best for the other. When you do what's best for me and I do what's best for you, we actually literally start creating heaven on earth until we actually get to be in the real heaven. When that hope of righteousness that we're waiting for, that we eagerly, confidently, certainly know is coming, when that's made manifest and real, it's going to be a great day. But until then, we can manifest that through the Spirit now by living in liberty, not in license to justify whatever we want to do with our own lives. I'll put that up there one more time so somebody can tweet that. Freedom from the law is not license to sin, but liberty to serve. That's what we have been called to do. And then here we go. Paul, verse 16, says, I say then, because you don't have liberty to do what license to do whatever you want. You have liberty to serve. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Where are you today, Christian? Now, if you're not a Christian, go on about your merry way. Go live it up. You're living for nothing. You're living for a vapor of a life that's going to be over like that. But this doesn't apply to you. Just go live it up. You'll be miserable, but go live it up. But for you, Jesus follower, where are you today? Are you, are you carrying out the desires of the flesh or walking by the Spirit? Yielding to the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit, and allowing the Holy Spirit to produce life in your life. Paul says here that there is a battle in sanctification. It is a battle. Flesh versus spirit. Old self versus new self. Self-led versus Jesus-led. It is a battle and is not going to end this side of eternity. It is going to end and I long for that day. I long for that day when this sinfulness, sinful fleshly me is gone. Faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross should and will produce a spirit-fed life, a spirit-led life. But what does a flesh-led life look like? This is where it gets nasty. Curl your toes up. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, adultery, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions... Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Is this the life you want to lead? Is this the life you want to lead? Is this the life that you want to be an example of for your kids and your grandkids, 
Students, is this the type of life that you want a friend to have, to be those things? Single person, is this the, the type of person, that, the type of mate that you're looking for? Do you want this person to exhibit these types of things? Do you want them to be selfishly ambitious and, and, and causing factions and drunkenness and carousing? When the, other, uh, the other word for that would be orgies. You know, is that the type of mate you're looking for? Is that the mindset you want? If it, then why would we live like this? If you don't want that to be who your kids become, who your grandkids become, the mate you're looking for, the friend you want in your classroom, then why would we live for these things? If you're living to be justified by the law, Paul's saying that you will inevitably produce these things by your dead works. That's hard to hear. It's not easy. But I like the offense of the passion translation. It takes these things and it puts it in, in, in language and in things like that really kind of make sense to us. Because it's easy to, to dismiss dissensions. It's like, ah, I don't even know what that means. Factions. Is that like math class or what is it talking about? Right? So let me read it to you in the Passion Translation. Let's, let's meddle a little bit. I'm going to meddle a little bit. Some of you are going to get mad at me. That's okay. Not me. It's God's Word. The cravings, same verses. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of chasing after God, manipulating others, hatreds of those who get in your way. I hope driving doesn't count right there. Uh, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored. That's you, Christian? Resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself. Being in love with your own opinions. Whew. I ain't going to name names, but we could. Being envious of the blessings of others. Murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and anything similar. Trying to justify yourself to God by yourself through the law this is what it's going to produce every single time maybe not an actual physical murder in your life but Jesus equates only thinking of yourself or being in love with your own opinions to the same degree and then it gets even worse sorry more importantly than, than not messing up our life, it, it's, it's even more important than that. I tell you about these things in advance, Paul says, continuing right from where we were. As I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Those who practice, continually, habitually live for the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, hey, don't get mad at me. I'm not saying it. God's word is saying it. Living a life of dead works, trying to justify ourselves before God, is a life of flesh, and it will only produce fleshly works. Using our freedom as a license to sin because God will forgive me is not the mentality or heart that God desires. It's not of God. It's not from God. It doesn't please God. Faith pleases God. Trust in Him pleases God. Faith in Jesus lived out in love to others pleases God people that have actually placed their faith in Jesus over time will habitually do that in their lives and if they're not 
If you're not, Paul said it right there. Don't be mad at me. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't like it either. I don't want to condemn you. I'm not. God's not either. He says that if you don't place faith in him, you were already living in condemnation. But then we get to this word. I like this word. It says, this is what the, a life lived for the flesh produces, but... Now, that's a good word. We get, we get this all-important word right here. But, but there is another way, Paul says. There is another choice. A, a repented heart, a repented mind, should and will produce fruit of repentance. Self-live life looks like this, like we just read. And that's not what God's kingdom is about. But there is another way. But, Paul says, but. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. No, notice it's not fruits. Try to, try to take that out of your vocabulary. Fruits of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. Singular. Spirit, a Spirit-yielded and led life will produce fruit. In other words, all of those things. In other words, don't pick the things out of there that you're naturally good at and ignore the others and think that you're living by faith. You're still, you're still living to justify yourself. Another way to say it is this. The fruit of the Spirit is God's love, which is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. God's love is the fruit expressed in all these other ways. It says the law takes care of itself when controlled by God's Spirit, which comes from a heart and mind that is submitted to and set on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When you realize what the blood of Jesus forgave you of and saved you from, it changes everything. When you realize what the blood of Jesus forgave you of and saved you from and saved you to, it changes everything. We must walk with the Spirit, and allow the Spirit to produce this fruit in our lives. After all, church, don't you want to live in a kingdom full of people that this list right here describes? Isn't this the people you want to be surrounded around in your life? People that are full of joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control? Isn't that what we really want to be surrounded by? Then we must be that as individuals also because someone else is looking for the exact same thing be that for them and let them be that for you now next week we're gonna look at at the fruit specifically and dig into the the meaning and the effect on our lives but the first thing to understand is if you are a follower of Jesus these things should be being produced by the Spirit in your life not by you gritting your teeth and trying to prove that you can do these things you can't you won't you won't even make it out of the parking lot. Or I probably won't. The point is, you got a choice. Follow Jesus or don't. Live for the flesh and be that other list. Live for Jesus and produce this list. Allow this list to be produced by the Holy Spirit. I don't know why anyone wouldn't choose this way. I really don't. Just from a logical standpoint. But from an emotional standpoint, let me beg you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, 
or if you're not currently yielding your life to the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus, would you come to that today so that we can allow the Spirit to produce this in our church, in us individually and in our church, corporatively? Would, would you yield to that today? If you want to talk about that, I'll be here during this last song and be happy to do that. Or if you want to respond just by praising God during this time, you can. If you want to respond in prayer, you can. Whatever business you need to do during this time, I pray that you do. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the spirit that allows us to live a life that is pleasing to you, God. Lord, may we yield to your spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives, God. May we, may we diligently seek to obey you, God. Thank you for your grace that covers up our inability to do this. Thank you for your grace that covers up our incessant desire to revert back to trying to prove ourselves to you, how good we are to you, God. May we not have that heart. May we not try to justify ourselves before you so that we won't unjustify others when we look at them, God. May we truly come to the understanding that we are saved because of you, because of what you did on the cross and nothing else. And may we live in that freedom, the liberty to serve others as we walk out of here today, God. We pray it all in your name. Amen.